Hello and welcome to the another episode of Despite the Challenges, a show where we showcase people with an amazing abilities. They inspire so many of us with so many challenges uh, that they have overcome with impairing circumstances and multiple challenges over the years. Their stories are as inspiring as they can be. Today, my guest is Elaine. Elaine calls herself kind of bionic Pollyanna. Um, let's hear more from Elaine directly from in our own words. Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ritu. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm a kind of bionic Pollyanna. And uh, for those that aren't really techie, bionic means basically I have a lot of parts that are made of titanium and steel. Oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, one arm has a great big rod and some screws and a nail and a shoulder has more titanium. And I have a half joint in one leg that's also titanium. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's what you mean by bionic. Yeah. That's what All I mean right. by bionic. Uh-huh. The Pollyanna piece comes from uh, a movie, a Disney movie I watched when I was a child. And uh, Pollyanna used to play the glad game every day. Mm-hmm. She had some of her own challenges. And uh, it's something that really resonated with me. And uh, it's part of what got me through some of the very serious challenges in my life. That, and I have kind of a bent sense of humor. Well, that's quite all right. We need that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh we do. Uh Tell me a little bit your story. What happened when you were growing up in Canada? Which part of Canada? Well, I actually, I come from Edinburgh, Scotland, and I came here um, just when I was little. And we live in Ottawa in Canada, which is the nation's capital. Uh I moved back and forth. I grew up in Toronto and then came back to Ottawa. And uh, this is where I've lived my adult life. Uh, My my growing up was very normal, very, you know, easygoing, uh, middle class family. My father was in the Air Force in Britain and then he joined the Air Force in Canada. Uh And uh, I have one sibling. Um, and uh, it was really pretty simple. However, a couple of years after I got married, things took rather a a wrong turn, if you will. I uh, was, I tend to be one to always help people, and a friend called at about two in the morning. Uh, He had been picked up for drinking and driving. He needed someone to come to the police station and get him. And at the time, my husband was working the very next morning. So I said, oh, I'll come and get you. Uh, I was six and a half months pregnant. It was March, and uh, it was about 25 below Fahrenheit. Oh, goodness. A very cold night. But because it was so late, the middle of the night, I threw on a pair of clogs and a great big fur coat, which, thank God, I did. I, I always say when I talk about this that you have to remember always to wear clean underwear. <laughs> I'll tell you about that in a minute. 
uh, when I got to the police station, unfortunately, I had a Mustang and back in the day, the dimmer switch was on the floor. There was a problem, some kind of short with mm -hmm. the switch and my car stopped. I uh, got help from a policeman that I happened to uh, know. He was a family friend and he said, okay, you're going to have to drive without your lights. So like, just go straight home. Unfortunately, when you're six and a half months pregnant, you don't go straight anywhere. I had to stop and go to the bathroom. And uh, that was about halfway home, 25 minute drive, heading out the highway uh, in the south end of Ottawa. When I stopped to run into this bathroom, I had to remove this big fur coat. And I realized when I looked in the mirror that I had my shirt on inside out. And I thought, oh, thank God nobody's gonna see me. And at least I have clean underwear on. <laughs> Yeah, 45 minutes later, everybody got to see my clean underwear. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I uh, got back in the car. We drove up the highway. A policeman stopped me, and I explained what happened, but he had me turn the lights on anyway, and my car died. He was getting the uh, booster cables to get the car restarted, but we couldn't get the car off the road because of the snow banks were so, hmm. so huge at the time. He um, was unsure of how to give a boost, and there were a few other sort of weird things. He didn't set up any flares. And when he came back, he got in between the cars with me, but he was on the snowbank side. This happened to happen right in front oh. of a cemetery, okay, where my friend was buried. We lost a friend at 16 who unfortunately had taken her own life. This, my car was literally parked right in front of where her grave was. About, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute later, I guess the policeman saw the lights as they hit the curve on the raised hoods of the cars. They were like this. I was in the middle. I'm barely five foot two. I didn't see the car coming up the highway. Oh, I so just there was felt another car coming. There was another car coming up the highway and the poor soul could not have seen my car around the curve. Uh, the engine of my car went through my leg and took a good portion of my left leg from the knee up. I was catapulted into the air and over and over again. And as I came down on the highway, the hood went up on this fur coat, which is a good thing because had it not my brains would have been splattered all over the road. Sorry to be so graphic, but it was so cold and the highway was so hard. I remember lying there and one arm was stuck up in the air and my leg, unbeknownst to me, my ankle was actually up on my shoulder. My legs were broken in about 16 places. I had dislocated my shoulder anteriorly. And when they finally got an ambulance, the young man who had hit my car, got the ambulance. He ran up the road to a restaurant that had a house attached. And back in those days, this was 1976, there was no cell phones or anything. Mm. Um, he pounded on the door and got them to call an ambulance. And, uh, and I am, I'm sorry to interrupt. So I am assuming that must have been like early morning hours or sometime was, in yeah, the night. It was close to a, probably 3.30 in the morning by this time. Okay. And uh, the ambulance drivers were literally just trying to make me comfortable. There was so much blood. The femoral artery had been cut. The good thing for me was it was so cold that I wasn't bleeding out quite as quickly as I could have. 
They managed to get me to a hospital. Unfortunately, I lost my baby. I lost part of my leg. I had serious internal injuries, lots of them, and uh, was totally unaware of the loss of part of my leg. But over the next few months in hospital, it's kind of every week they gave me a little bit more information. The first week they told me like, sorry, you lost the baby. The next week they said, yeah, sorry, you have to stay all tied up like that because your shoulder was dislocated. And the next week it was, oh, sorry, you have a fractured skull. <laughs> so every week was, was this whole new, oh my God, what are we getting this week? Mm -hmm. I, I managed, I was in um, a cast from my hip to my feet and every day the nurses would come in and they'd flatten the bed out so that I couldn't see what they were doing and they'd take this little window off the cast. I, it got me very curious. And one day a nurse came in to start the treatment. She got called away before she flattened the bed. So I pulled off the top of the cast and uh, got the shock of my life when I realized that part of my leg wasn't there. Oh, uh, sorry. It was quite, quite a shock. Anyway, I'm um, an incredibly, some say stubborn person, others say resilient. Uh, and I fought my way back over the months. I had to keep going back for surgeries over the next six years. I um, always had a cast on either one leg or the other, which I tended to play pranks with people. Because uh -huh. if I saw you this week, and then I saw you three weeks later, I probably had a cast on the other leg. And people <laughs> would sometimes say, oh, I thought it was the other leg. And I just went, uh, no, no. It's <laughs> So always being a bit of a prankster. The, the terrible part about all this was over that time, I started gaining weight. I, I wasn't a heavy child. I was a very active teenager. I rode horses. I skied downhill. I figure skated. I was always doing something. And the, the accident really was difficult because I couldn't ski anymore. I couldn't skate. Uh, couldn't ride horses anymore. My legs were just too damaged. I did learn to walk again. Um, I did break my nose doing that because I kept pushing myself. But by six years on, I had ended my marriage. I had been lucky and uh, found love for real and was remarried. I just had had a child in 1982. And in 1983, I decided that I would go for this new procedure. It was experimental. It was called stomach stapling. Hmm. Unfortunately for us, my whole family said, please don't do this. Don't do this. It's not, no, just don't do it. My husband, everybody was against this. And I just, I was so lacking in self-confidence for whatever reason that I just felt I really needed, I needed this with fix me. This would make me feel better about me. And uh, unbeknownst to us, this one doctor in Ottawa that could do this was already being investigated because he'd killed two people in the trials. And when did, he did... Did you know did, that? Not at the time. Okay. We didn't find that out actually until we went to court. And this was many, many years later. Um, it, it's a very different system here in Canada. And back at that time, I couldn't even have a jury for a civil case, and especially not for medical malpractice. Mm -hmm. That came much later. Um, I was hospitalized for six days. He let me go home. 
and told us nothing. Sorry to interrupt. I want to step back a little bit. So when you uh, decided to go through this stomach stapling uh, and went to this only doctor who could do that. Yeah. So uh, did everything go okay with the surgery or? No, um, he, he was, because he was being investigated, he had a problem during the surgery. And instead of telling us, he tried to cover it up by writing more OR reports and not saying anything. They sent me home and unfortunately I was only there for 17 hours. I had to go back to the emergency. Now you have to think about this. When this happened, they told you that you would feed through a tube in your side for three weeks and I could have nothing by mouth for the first uh, three weeks that I was feeding through this tube, which Of course, I wanted this. I worked hard to pass all the tests so that I could have this surgery. They tried to tell me when I went to the hospital that I must have eaten something, which was just so ridiculous. They already knew, you see, that I had a gastric leak. They had caused a hole in my stomach and had not repaired it properly. So this infection was building and leaking into my abdomen. By the time they did the testing the next day, they told my husband and my family that they had to operate right away because there was a terrible infection. They didn't give them the full story. But uh, one week after that, I developed an abscess on my left lung and they had to put in a chest tube. And uh, they were having trouble finding a place to put me in the hospital. So they had me 27 years old in a ward with three women who were all seniors dying of cancer. It was hard enough to be there and feel guilty about having chosen this surgery when my family didn't want me to. And now to watch other people suffering, it it was really very hard. I can imagine. I can only imagine. The final surgery in that first group, uh, he did on my daughter's birthday. And uh, my husband had to wait for seven and a half hours for me to come out of surgery. It seems I stopped breathing on the table and the doctor in an effort, I guess, to try something different, called in another thoracic surgeon who slit my neck. So I have, it was just a little hole at the time, but he slit my neck and diverted my esophagus out my neck. Oh goodness. That's um, at not, the top. not a normal procedure, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, When I woke up in ICU, I was in ICU for 11 days. I woke up, they couldn't close me. So from stem to stern, from my chest uh, to past my my waist, I was left wide open because everything had been so what they call friable. They had reoperated now three times in three weeks. And there was this roiling infection that had just taken on a life of its own. So in ICU, the hole in my neck was actually starting to eat pieces of my skin because saliva is actually a little bit acidic and Uh it tends to to mess up your skin. Mm -hmm. One of the nurses, and this is a month later, one of the nurses got this really smart idea to go talk to the stoma therapist. That's um, someone who works with people who have colostomies. And they have what they call stoma bags Uh 
for a colostomy. And they thought it would be great if she could fashion a bag I could wear on my neck. I, I actually have it here. Now, this is a really classy one. They do mm -hmm. a lot with them now. They didn't do it back then. But imagine this, okay? This is where I wore this bag. And it collected the saliva. And funny story, <laughs> the nurses knew, think about this, my neck is slick. I can't drink anything or eat by mouth. I've now been feeding through a tube in my side for two and a half months. I am so thirsty, it's crazy. So the nurses started sneaking in popsicles in the middle of the night. And before the stoma bag, the popsicles, we would just, they would go get all the towels on that whole floor and they'd bring them to my room so that we could stuff them on my neck. Because of course it's gross, but I would lick the popsicles and it would all come out my neck, which is horrible. But it at least made me feel like, you know, my mouth wasn't so horribly dry. Mm -hmm. Once we got the stoma bag, it was better because then we could just empty it. Now, they only stayed on my neck and it used to be a, a, just a type of um, uh, like an adhesive that okay. was a big adhesive patch. And it would stay on for two or three days at most. But it was a lot easier than having all the saliva eating on my skin. It just, I, I wore it for seven months, this thing on my neck, and I don't want to be rude to your viewers, but I used to say, you know, it's such a bitch to accessorize. Nothing goes with clear plastic. You'll notice this one's not clear. They used to be. <laughs> you have such a good sense of humor with all that what you have been through. And I, wanna, I want to, just to change a little bit uh, here from your story yes. that you have shared uh, to... What you're doing right now, you're sort of, you call it Dean of Social Media. Dean of Social Media. Yes, that, that's I'm actually, yes. uh, that's a position I was given mm -hmm. by a tribal setup called Social Buzz Club University. Okay. Um, what happened from all this back in 2004, I found a spiritual mentor who taught me self-mastery tools so that I could, through meditation, etc., I could handle the pain because I have been in pain 24-7 since 1976. And the pain and the eating problems are, have been exacerbated since 1983. Uh -huh. But now, I actually, since 2004, have much more quality of life. I meditate every day. It helps me handle the pain. And I actually do some work, which is really cool. Yes. And something I love because I just love to schmooze. So social media is absolutely uh -huh. made for me. So I want to give you another title. You're queen of social media. <laughs> You're hosting a TV show, Business yes. Banter TV. Yeah. And you are the first, uh, the first few uh, people who had the f very first experiences of the Google Hangout. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma yes. Yeah. I, and and uh, all those amazing things that you're doing and publishing and all that. And isn't it so inspiring to tell your story, which you've been through, and it just kind of brings back a lot of memories. Sometimes it's not really pleasant to go back to relive those. It's but, true. It's but, true. But one thing, Ritu, that's really important and why I talked about my friend that took her own life, because 
what that did, she gave me a gift. Over, over the years, there were so many times mm -hmm. where it would have just been a lot easier to let the pain go and just go. But I couldn't do it because through her passing, she showed me the damage and the pain it caused the friends and family that were left behind. So whenever I had one of those days or a really bad week, it always came to me that, no, Andrea taught me suicide's not the answer. You, you just have to hang on because, you know what, sometime it's going to get better. See, and I'm the, living proof. You kept fighting <laughs> off. I, yeah. I know, it, and, it's, and I am so amazed at your sense of humor and your resilience and whatever you want to name that, <laughs> Elaine. <Yeah. laughs> and, and fighting back and giving back. Yeah. You, you're such an inspiration. So you touch so many people through social media and uh, it, it, all that work that you're doing, sometimes that pain goes away and there's a healing and giving and giving back. And you uh, mentioned about the meditation and all that and then the spiritual um, upliftment is always, always a way to get past what has challenged us most. And I am so grateful that you mentioned about your young friend who uh, reminded you of that you do not, you care more than well, well, yeah. leaving your family in tears. Yes, uh, you know, um, I now know, I believe we create our own reality. Okay, so it's up to us mm -hmm. to make it a good one. Uh, you know, I play the glad game every day. I still do. Mm -hmm. uh, things that most people don't think about. Okay, I saw two deer at the side of the road on Monday. For me, that's like, it's like winning a little lotto, okay? Because I love <laughs> animals. Uh -huh. So for me, these are all the things that, that make it wonderful. And what I want to say to people, what I, a little message I want to leave with people is, you know what? Like, don't even look five minutes in the future, okay? Just be. Yes. Like, right this minute, I'm here with you. A hundred percent of me is right here with you. Being in the now. And be exactly being in the now because you know when you try to go five minutes ahead or five minutes behind you could miss the best thing that ever happened to you just by not being that is present. that is very true even though we plan for life we plan for retirement after retirement we can plan so much but missing the current moment yeah now it comes back <laughs> no no it doesn't and and you know it, it's it's thanks to my spiritual mentor, Patricia Wall, uh, Mari Smith, who I work with online, who I went through the Relationship Marketing Institute. Mm -hmm. uh, my father, uh, my father is uh, one of, to me, the greatest hero there is. And the fact is, I'm 59 years old, and I'm having a blast doing what I love. Good for you. <laughs> who, what's the most... Uh, inspirational thing uh, that you find looking back that kept you moving well it's it, funny funny story <laughs> uh, it's not going to sound inspirational we were um i was hit by another car <laughs> the universe sometimes you know hits people with bricks well i get cars 
1997, we were hit in a, in a parking lot by a man who was so full of road rage, it was unbelievable. We had knocked on his car, asking him not to run us over as he was backing out. He came after us, tried to go after my kids, and I stepped in the way, and it was me that ended up in the hood oh, of his car. Goodness. Now, out of that, okay, there was, there was damage, a lot of soft tissue, you know, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. But the fact was, what I kept thinking from that was, okay, What's the common denominator here? It's me. Okay, if all this is happening around, well, how how do how do I turn that into, you know, wh what does this mean? What it, what is it saying? And that was '97. I started reading everything I could get my hands on. Hmm. Deepak Chopra, Oprah, uh, the the ninth ninth, what is it? The ninth. Oh, my mind's gone blank. But the Four Agreements, all of those books, mm -hmm. I was literally devouring to find out, okay, there's a thread here. If I'm the common denominator in all these horrible, dramatic things that are happening, well, how do I fix that? And I realized that, you know, I, I had a, a weird, you know, some of us just have weird things where I thought I was responsible for everything in the world. And, you know, everything was my fault and just silly stuff. A lot of it coming from a lack of self-confidence. And by, oh, I see. by mm. you know, investigating and finding a spiritual mentor, I had been told to go to her for two and a half years before I finally got up the, the chutzpah to go because I, I just felt that she would see right through me and I was, like, terrible. <laughs> um, that's not what she told me. And it, it's the best thing. In, in retrospect that ever happened. The big, huge man who was so angry was actually, you know, that turning point that, that gave me a mission to find out, okay, how do I make this different? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and for that, I thank him. What a wonderful way to, to look at a negative, something a tragic to turn into very positive. Elaine, I know that you are doing such an, a great work with uh, your um, mentorship and teaching a lot of business entrepreneurs and social media and, of course, Google Plus. So you're Google evangelist, Google Plus evangelist. Yes. <laughs> so you're yes. doing all that. Is there anything else that you inspire to do? Is there something else inside you now that you take a look back at life that you want to do in life? I only told people the story of my life, and that included our children. I didn't realize, you know, I thought over the years all I did was whine. My children who are grown and 41 and 32 respectively. When I started a year ago, a year and a half ago, I guess I was asked to finally say something about my life. Uh, my kids said, yeah, we'd really like to know. And it was really... Oh. Um, an eye-opening experience to find out that, oh, wow, okay, I guess I didn't really whine about it. So how can I make this positive? What can I do with this? So for me, what I want to do is speak about this and show people that, yeah, you know what? I have mobility issues. And when I go downstairs, it's not pretty. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I have scars everywhere and mm -hmm. that's okay too. But the the beautiful thing is, if you can just hang on 
one more day. Take one more step. Think of one more moment that you can just enjoy some little thing. It can give you a reason to do more, to be more, to give more to yourself. Elaine, thank you so much for sharing thank your you. personal story and inspiring us. Clearly, I, I have to learn a lot from you. <laughs> and, thank, you. Uh, thank you for being here uh, with us today. It and, was lovely. Thank you so much. And, uh, and for our viewers, want to share some food for thought, uh, something coming from a Nepaliana story, uh, a quote from Laura ben Benadi. In her words, I hate to sound like a Pollyanna, but in a way, the ordeal was kind of a blessing. It puts things in perspective. You learn who your friends are. You realize the importance of the family. I was 18 when I did Sound of Music. My life started to get very linear, and I started to get tunnel vision. The injury opened my eyes as to how I wanted to be as a human being. Thank you for joining us. I am host Ritu Chopra. Until next time.